Cubicle Night Noodling is recorded on the 2nd of November, 2020. This is my corner of the internet where I talk about the fun things that tickle my nerdy nerve endings. On this 22nd single serving size podcast without the packaging litter, I have the Microsoft Edge browser on OpenSUSE Linux, Fish, the friendly interactive shell on OpenSUSE, branded versus unbranded laptop batteries, Halloween festive lights, a bit of follow-up, my OpenSUSE corner, and a computer history retrospective on computer entrepreneurs from 1984. Computers are a tool. It's a wrench or hammer, maybe more like a drill, as it's more of a power tool. It is there to serve you in whatever task it is. Whether it's organizing and storing information, one of the core functions of computers, entertainment, home security, or designing and building something to improve your foxhole in life, it's a tool. Computers can be fun to tinker with, you know, for people who like to mess around with computers, and learn how things work as well. It's for all types. Linux, along with the free and open source applications on top of it, just happens to be the best solution for me. Would open source software be the best and most ideal solution? Well, of course it would, but that is just not the case much of the time. What I do believe is that the core and base layers of the operating system are free and open. Having projects like KDE, Plasma, GNOME, and XFCE, which are completely open source desktop environments, is the key. Should you need some proprietary application run on top of it? Sure, it's less ideal, but it's much preferred to the whole stack being closed and proprietary. I do run Fusion 360 on my machine, as well as FreeCAD. I support the FreeCAD project, but I still have some trouble with it. I do think it's getting better, but for the time being, Fusion 360 is my go-to CAD application, because of what it can do so effortlessly. Does it make my system as a whole compromised? I don't believe so. Will running only free and open source software be better? Absolutely. But that's not where things are today. And rather than get upset, I'd rather just get projects done. Consider this, if your living was dependent on designing and building a widget, and you need to collaborate with other designers, what would be the best tool for the job? I can't say for certain what your case may be, but if I were working on a project and collaborating with a team, as a small business owner, Fusion 360 has those tools baked right into it. If it reduces the time to market enough to offset the cost, then it's worth it. If it shortens the development time enough to offset the cost of software, then it is indeed worth it. On the contrary, if you have developed a method for product lifecycle management while using FreeCAD and you're able to do all that is required to include the machining process as well, then go with that application. The bottom line is, you must use the tool that works best for you and you shouldn't receive grief by anybody for it. Personal computers should be just that. Personal. Use what is best for you. Should someone choose something different or go down a different path to get their ultimate solution, even if it's a winding path, that personal discovery is extremely valuable. The best ideas will surface, and suppressing the journey is of no benefit to anybody. Give people space to discover, to grow, you know, at their own pace. Allow them to figure out their world. Show them kindness and grace as they learn and ask questions. Technology is but one vehicle to make our world a better place. Positive and supportive attitudes are another. Stop and ask yourself, why do you do the things that you do? And have that honest conversation with yourself. I recently installed and started using Microsoft Edge Browser. It's still in the development channel, and it's really pretty fantastic. The browser works well, even though it is in development yet. I have received a couple of updates on it now, though I haven't noticed any differences in how it performs as of yet. I do appreciate the work being done on it. Now, I've been one of those individuals that's been on the opposite of the Microsoft fan for many years. I do have to give them credit where credit is due. We can start with Microsoft Basic, 
that was essentially a, a common thread between computers in the 8-bit era. Commodore Basic was licensed for Microsoft, and between the different computers of the time, it was very similar with the variations being on how you control graphics, sound, and I.O. Fast forward to the 90s, Microsoft began down a road of dominance, which led to congressional hearings on monopolistic business practices, and later with Steve Ballmer telling the world that Linux was a cancer. We also reminded about the historic practice of Embrace, Extend, Extinguish, and the numerous lawsuits that kept Linux and open source software from growing at greater speeds. Despite all their flaws, when you remove the emotional context and you look at their contributions to the technology industry, you'll see that there are countless contributions that they have made in pushing the boundaries of making technology more accessible. Sure, they made mistakes. We all make mistakes. We are flawed humans running flawed organizations making flawed decisions. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't negate the positives because of the negatives. Let's look at today. Let's look and see what they're doing today. Should we be wary? Sure, perhaps. I prefer the trust but verify approach. Today, Microsoft has been saying that they heart Linux. Cynically, you can say, yeah, they heart the money they get from developing and licensing technology for Linux. That's what business does. Now they're building a browser, Microsoft Edge, for Linux. It's based in Chromium and therefore reducing some of the technical liabilities associated with using their own web engine. Would I prefer they use Firefox's Gecko engine? Sure. That would have possibly been better, but I can't really say. I think no matter what Microsoft did, it would cause backlash in the community somewhere. The bottom line is, Edge is good. It's real good. I'm nothing short of impressed by how it performs. The browser is still in the dev channel, but it's shockingly good. And I never say anything good about browsers. If I had to choose between Edge and Chrome for my corporate sponsored web browser, I would choose Edge as it does not chomp system resources like Chrome. Let me boil down to what I like. Installation process and package management integration couldn't be any better. I have already received updates to the browser and, and Zipper didn't have a single issue with it. I certainly wasn't expecting issues, but you never know. The bottom line is OpenSUSE is a first-class Microsoft Edge citizen. The Edge browser is a high-performance application. It's shockingly lean and fast. I keep using that word shockingly. I should stop. If I had to choose between Chrome and Edge, I would choose Edge. The performance and memory usage improvement is not insignificant. I need more time on the browser to give a better performance evaluation and do some side-by-side -side tests against my current Firefox preference. Since Microsoft has made OpenSUSE a first-class citizen, it means that I'm going to do my part and give them a hand in usage reports and the like. The settings interface may be my favorite that I have seen. It's laid out in such a way that it makes sense to navigate. There isn't any digging to get to what you want to customize. This does support the claim that it is an easily customizable browser, and I say well done. What I don't like, although you are given a very nice dark theme, it's not my favorite. Also, since I am into the green highlights, this is the only spot that Chrome has a slightly higher mark. This is a mixed opinion, but I wish there were more Edge browser extensions available in their repository. You're essentially directed to the Chrome store for things wherever Edge is lacking. Now the upshot is you have access to all the Chrome extensions. Edge is based on the same Blink engine as Chromium Chrome. In effect, this re reduces the technical burden on development and opening up the world of extensions. My biggest concern is that the market seems to be drifting to a single browser engine, and that doesn't look good for the future of Firefox. I'm not currently able to log into my Microsoft account, which is a known issue. It would be nice if that was working, but I'm willing to bet that this will be fixed in the near future. When it is fixed, I'm certainly going to see how well all the associated services work. Now this is a nitpick, but the letter casing on OpenSUSE was wrong in the documentation. Yeah, you know, they put the first O capitalized. Yeah, I'm certainly grasping at straws for a fourth thing I didn't like about Edge, but there you go. So I highly recommend you give Edge a try. If you don't like Microsoft and you refuse to use any of its products, then don't use it. At the same time, if someone else likes using it, let them use it. It's not your computer anyway. I can't help but to be super excited about using Fish in my terminal. Fish is the friendly interactive shell, and I now have it as default on all my OpenSUSE machines. It makes the terminal alive and interactive. The, 
the F in fish really should be fun because of how it helps guide you through the commands as well as it does. Fish is able to parse the man pages and helps you build a proper command to accomplish whatever terminal task that you're trying to do. The tab key becomes so much more powerful opening up a menu of options that are easily understandable as it shows you the command and what it means or the option and what it means. It's truly an amazing improvement and if I had my way, this would be the default shell in OpenSUSE. Now I've been totally fine with using Bash. I started on CSH in the HP Unix days. When I went to Linux, I was introduced to Bash and I thought it was, you know, pretty great. What I appreciated was the tab completion on commands. I heard about ZSH and Fish, but since I didn't have a problem with Bash, I had no desire to change my shell. The interactive nature of Fish makes using anything in the terminal so much better. Maybe instead of friendly, it, the F in Fish should stand for fun. I, I think that maybe you get more traction. I don't know. I really enjoy using the terminal a lot more, and I believe that making this the default shell for not just OpenSUSE, but all the distributions would really help in greater adoption of living in the terminal. I have often been cheap on many of my decisions. Since I do have a bit of an addiction to all things tech, I try to do it as least cost prohibitive as possible. I think I said that correctly. That has especially gone for batteries for my laptop. I purchased a replacement battery on eBay that was unbranded for my Dell Latitude E6440. You know, to save a few bucks, I think like 10 or something like that. Not only did it arrive broken, as well as a replacement arriving broken, the computer didn't like it. What I mean by that is it would have an effect on the computer performance. The result would often be forcing the CPU to be capped at around 800MHz, popping out the battery, and or replacing with a real, genuine Dell battery, the CPU performance would be restored to normal. Also, the battery was estimated at 94% of life when I first started using it. After about a week or so, 88%, three weeks and more, like 78%. And then again, there's that constant problem of the CPU performance being capped. So it seems like these knockoff batteries don't hold up very well. I had a similar issue with this on my Dell Latitude D630, but I didn't really wise up to it at that time. The battery to only hold up for two or four months. There was a common thread, so I changed my ways. I purchased a genuine Dell battery this time, a real battery that has a Dell name branded right on the side of it. The battery health is at 100%. There isn't any crazy CPU governing, and so far I'm really quite happy. It took me like 10 years to finally learn my lesson. Sometimes genuine is the better way to go. I've talked about my festive lights on my house a few times, and this month they've been in the Halloween theme. For the benefit of town folk and the trick-or-treaters, using my Linux-powered festive lights, I did a sequence to Ghostbusters, with which I was ultimately not pleased. The main reason being, I ran out of time and didn't get the additional pixel lights mounted, and, and I used this purple string of LED lights that did not flash in time with the music sequences, as I expected. Any of the effects that were directed toward the pixel LEDs did just as they were supposed to do, but not that strand of purple lights. So I was a little disappointed. One passerby asked me how I did it, and since I didn't want to have to give him a, a full explanation, I just said, as, as a matter of fact, Linux. He accepted that answer and carried on. Maybe he'll become curious and look into it, but chances are he will completely dismiss what I said and go on to consume more traditional forms of entertainment that's easily digested. So I'm getting ready for the big dance now this year. I will be adding a lot by means of pixel bulbs on my house. It will likely be a good show, and I'm looking forward to what I'm able to share with the public. For my Biddle follow-up, the bulk of the conversation on Biddle was discussions on utilities and what people use. Rocco was absent, so Dan ran the show. The discussion is always interesting, at least it is for my nerd brain. And what I found most interesting was how sour some people watching became when we talked positively of Microsoft Edge Browser. I think Biddle got the largest number of downvotes I've ever seen and I can't help but wonder why. Well, actually, I do know why, because we're talking about Canonical and Microsoft. There were a few visceral comments 
in the dislike for Canonical as well, which I find incredibly disappointing. Canonical has done much for the Linux desktop in pushing the design concept and emphasizing the need for polish. They've greatly improved application accessibility to many Linux distributions through Snaps and do a lot to encourage development on Linux. Do I agree with everything that they do? Nope, but I agree with their mission. And you have to look at their character as a company, not focus on one or a few decisions, which I do not agree. Microsoft is putting people and resources into the Linux desktop. They've given us Microsoft Teams and Visual Studio Code, to name a couple. Now they're building a browser, Edge, for Linux as well. Am I a fan of telemetry? No. Or rather, it depends. If I can give them information to improve my personal experience, yes. I also like it that they are going up against the likes of Chrome as well. Although they both use the Blink web engine, there is some significant variation in the user experience that is quite welcome. I am a little disconcerted by the, the amount of dislike for any company putting resources into the Linux desktop. I understand the lack of trust, but to outright show contempt is just not beneficial to anybody. For my OpenSUSE corner, the OpenSUSE community is to have a kickoff session for Leap 15.3. The OpenSUSE community is inviting all stakeholders to join the kickoff for Leap 15.3 on November 4th of this year. This is an invitation to package maintainers, contributors, and open source developers to join the community for a virtual meeting at meet.opensusa.org slash leapkickoff. A link to that will be in my show notes. I really appreciate the open nature of how OpenSUSA conducts business. For my Tumbleweed Roundup, Snapshot 2020-1023 has a stable score of 99, updates to GhostScript and Yes. Snapshot 2020-1024 has a moderate score of 90, Alsa and Libsolve are a couple of the uh, packages that interest me most. 2020-1025, a stable score of 96. 2020-1026 has a pending moderate of 83. Mozilla Thunderbird and AppArmor receive some updates. 2020-1028 has a pending moderate of 78. GStreamer and KWIN5 as part of the list of updates. And 2020-1029 has a pending moderate of 76 with Poplar and numerous Python modules receiving updates. Details on each of those snapshots can be found at review.tumbleweed.boomertower.com. You can get a link to that in my show notes. For my computer history retrospective, I saw an episode of Computer Chronicles on computer entrepreneurs from 1984. The computer industry has brought wealth to many people at various levels. Some starting companies that go on to being enormously successful like Apple. Some were able to make great livings and gain historic notoriety. Many others have fallen into relative obscurity as time has marched on. The 1970s gave rise to the computer entrepreneurs mostly wearing at that time whatever they wanted, you know, jeans and t-shirts and so forth, and just looking to create the best product available for themselves, as in the case of Steve Wozniak. He was free to define the project as he saw fit and was able to explore and learn. Changes in the early 1980s shifted the industry to becoming a lot more professional, and the jeans and t-shirts gave way to suits and ties. The computer industry went from garage-bound to billions of dollars in an incredibly short time. Wozniak was very humble about his beginnings and the foolishness of corporations looking down on upstarts, though largely software upstarts at this time. It was in the first 10 or so years of the fledgling industry that anyone with the knowledge and a few hundred dollars could start building hardware devices, and people would have enough interest to commit dollars to it. The technically creative expressions were wide and varied, and also largely incompatible with one another. Very few technically creative products were being produced in the world by 1984, and things were largely becoming commoditized. The computer is becoming more like an appliance similar to a refrigerator or washer where the economics of scale were necessary to have a successful business model. In 1984, it was not believed that there could be any new garage or hobby manufacturer, but belief that software upstarts were still absolutely possible due to the lower economic threshold requiring an application to go into market as opposed to a new computer. 
Adam Osborne, formerly of Osborne Computers, made the statement that there isn't room for new manufacturers, that business was locked up, and the computer is no longer high-tech, where price and reliability were the driving factor. He also stated that there will never be an IBM in software because you're dealing with $50 products, and because of human nature, people will want something very different from one another. Now, I can largely agree with that, and largely disagree with that. As you know, software can become thousands of dollars now. Osborne went on to say that computers collecting dust and no longer being used were like the ZX80 and 81, but largely served their purpose and the curiosity of getting people interested in the computer. The Commodore 64 was collecting dust for liability reasons, and people were just buying new machines because it was so inexpensive. Another guest stated that the IBM clone companies won't make it because they're not delivering anything new. Now we know that that was completely wrong. It's interesting to look at this from a historical perspective, as IBM is no longer in the PC business. It sold all that off because they were not able to hang. There was a software of IBM called Microsoft, or maybe now it's Google, perhaps it's Apple. Anyway, there are some giants today. Today, things like there's no room for another mobile platform or another desktop environment or another search provider or another social media platform. People are continually making these faulty assumptions that, that are largely believed until they're no longer true. Atari used to be the de facto video game standard until N Nintendo and Sega battled it out, only for Sony and Microsoft to gobble up much of the gaming industry and crush the likes of the Amiga CD32 and Sega Dreamcast. Think about it. Yahoo and AOL once ruled the internet and Microsoft was the only serious game in town for office products. The industry is always changing. Linux is now dominant in many areas of technology, and Microsoft has pivoted in many ways from the desktop and office applications to server or cloud-based offerings. IBM purchased Red Hat and pushes open source solutions. The bottom line is, no one knows what the future holds. Just because a company holds a lead in any area doesn't mean that it will stay that way. The industry is always changing, growing, contracting, morphing, and technology is finding new ways to solve problems and waste time. So hang on, enjoy it, Stay flexible and like what you like. Not everything in the world is going to be exactly the way you want. In fact, it may very well be that what you want doesn't align with the majority of people. Does that mean that you're wrong or they're wrong? No, it means you're a different person. You must find a way to show kindness to everyone no matter what they prioritize. I believe you have to have faith in people. Short-term, things might look bleak, but long-term, the good ideas will come to the surface. Discern what is good from what is not good and make decisions that you can live with long-term. Be a good neighbor in the digital world as well as in the real world. A combination of kindness, Patience and grace will ultimately win in every situation. As I tend to state at the end of each one of these noodlings, thank you once again for listening to this nerdy nonsense. If you have any corrections, addendums, or comments, feel free to send me an email at cubiclenate.com. For more of my nonsense, visit cubiclenate.com and use any method you like on the contact page. I'll get to it as quickly as I can. Until next time, see yous.